0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and today I'm insanely insanely excited that you guys have decided to tune in, because with me today is my guest, Terry Wildman. Terry, how are you today? Yeah,
1: I'm doing pretty good, and it feels good to be here with you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, again, for taking some time out of your day to come and hang out with some random guy you've never heard of before. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh, well, Terry, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your work, can you just give us a little bit of background about uh, who you are, you know, maybe a little bit about your, um, just your background in general and what kind of things that you do?
1: Well, gosh, I've, uh, I've had an eclectic life. Um, so I was raised in Michigan um, and uh, I found out when I was young that I had native heritage uh, from my father and my grandpa. Um, and and from my grandma so uh, but I didn't really connect early in life to that heritage. I grew up pretty much like anybody else in Michigan might grow up going to the same schools, going to the uh, you know not really uh, connecting with my culture. So it wasn't until I was an adult um, after I came to faith in in Jesus and and, and, be, and as an adult I uh, began to uh, feel a call of God in my life, and and so eventually I answered that call and got involved in ministry. So I've been, gosh, I've been um, uh, probably have about 20 years of pastoral uh, experience in ministry over the uh, you know over my lifetime, and and so I've also uh, been involved with um, other groups. Uh, I got involved with uh, Youth with a Mission for a couple of years. Um, uh, being cross-cultural evangelist, living on the Hopi Indian Reservation. Um, and I've a- also pastored uh, several native churches, um, one in, on the Hopi Reservation, uh, the Sunlight Mission, and then in Michigan, I I pastored a, a um, recently I pastored a native church there, um, north of Traverse City, uh, called Northport Indian Mission. And so, um, you know, uh, over, over my lifetime i've had like I said an eclectic i've been involved with charismatic people non charismatic people uh, very uh, uh you know different kinds of christians but I've found a common thread among us all is that we love jesus and that 's what holds us together that 's what holds me to that 's what holds me to the bible that's what inspired me to uh, translate the Bible is not because i uh, because of the Bible, but because of who the Bible talks about, and it's Jesus. And uh, so uh, it wasn't, you know, so those are the things that led up to the point of a few, you know, a number of years ago when um, I decided and answered what I believe was a call to do this translation.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, another question that I just, I love to ask and just to help get to know people a little bit better. Um, As you know, our our show is called Rethinking Faith. And so I like to ask the question, what is perhaps uh, the most important aspect of your faith that you feel you had to rethink?
1: Are you, uh, let me ask you back a question. Sure. In Rethinking My Faith, at what point did you feel, do you, Are you talking about as a native person or rethinking my faith and able to do this translation? What's the context of your question?
0: Yeah. So just, it's, it's very general. So we get a wide variety of answers. Some people come on and say, Oh, I've, you know, rethought my relation to the Bible or, you know, I rethought my idea of certainty and how important certainty might be. So it's, it's different (laughs) for everybody. So it's really just asking for you in general, um, what's something you feel that was important um, that you rethought as you matured well, in your faith?
1: As I matured in my faith, I uh, I came to a point, especially when I got involved with ministry with Native American people, with my own heritage. And as I began to explore what happened to our native people and, uh, and I learned some terrible things, uh, government assimilation and the, the uh taking away of our languages the uh, trail of tears and the in, in the uh, broken treaties and all these different things but what shocked me what hit my faith the hardest was when i uh is the church involvement in this process of uh honestly of of uh, oppressing our people And the church got involved with the government policies and taking away our language and stripping us of our culture. So this to me was a crisis of faith. I mean, I, I, I felt like, whoa, just a minute here. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way Jesus would have approached ministry with our native people. Why did it happen this way? So I decided to Digging a little deeper and go, and I, so I read books on Christian history. Well, that was a mistake. Don't read Christian history when you're in a crisis of faith, because it will further deepen that crisis. And so what, so through that process, um, I had to rethink my faith. I had to see what, what is my faith based on? Is it based on uh, North American, European style Christianity that has, uh, has its own way of thinking and its own way of presenting Jesus? uh, Or do do I have to go deeper? So what happened was, what saved my faith was Jesus. (laughs) I had to come back to him. You know, as I read the Old Testament, there's troubling things in the Old Testament. But when I read Jesus, those troubles go away. I go, okay. Jesus, you said you're the one that's going to show us the Father. You're the one that perfectly reveals who He is. So I'm going to trust that your teachings are the right teachings. And if I follow your teachings, I may I might have to quit following some of these other things I've been taught. So those are some of the ideas. But what happened is my roots had to go much deeper into the Christian faith. It had to go uh, deeper in. Uh, culturally and contextually so that I could uh, hold on to that. And then in holding on to that, now what do I do? How do I share that faith?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that answer. Um, and you're, I mean, that's that's kind of the gist of like the whole podcast is this idea that Jesus is the thing that uh, grounds us and holds us together. Um, while, you know, all these other things can, you know, kind of get caught into question. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me, too, that, I mean, you you talk about and bring up the history of um, the Christian treatment of natives, not only in America, but also in Canada, um, has not been good, <laughs> to say right. the very least. And so for me, it was just, it was so interesting when I first saw the First Nations translation, when IVP first sent me the little sampler, and I, and, um, I was like, oh my goodness, like, if this isn't, like, seeing reconciliation happen in real time, then I don't know what is. So it's like, I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm not, I don't ever really sure. I'm not really sure. I know what I'm asking. I'm more so just making an observation. That's like, how has reconciliation happened um, to the point where now there's a first nations version and translation of the new Testament once um, so many, uh, you know, atrocities have been committed by by Christians uh, towards the native peoples.
1: Well, let me answer that by first talking about what the First Nation version is. Sure. The First Nation version is a new translation. It's uh, attempting to capture the simplicity, the clarity, and the beauty of our native storytellers in English, but remaining faithful to the original language of the New Testament. It is a translation by Native Americans, Native North Americans, uh, for Native North Americans, and for all English speaking people. Now the, the, the problem is, is because of generations of government assimilation policies, most people do not speak their tribal languages. So the First Nation version, it provides an English Bible. Since 95% of our people are now speaking English and reading English. And when the translations first happened uh, into our native languages uh, by Wycliffe translators and by others, uh, the same same church (laughs) in a different place was taking our language away from us and not teaching us how to read our own languages. So these Bibles that have been translated into our mother tongues aren't being used, or being used very, very little, maybe 2%, 3% of the people can actually open a native translation and read from it. So we believe that, that, you know, there's 6 million English-speaking people in North America, over 6 million. So this translation is that attempt to reconnect to bring jesus not uh not from a colonial perspective but from a native perspective looking through native eyes and and seeing him that way as far as reconciliation goes there needs to be reconciliation and for that to happen uh both sides need to need to be able to hear each other both si- both sides need to be able to listen to the other side and uh, for for non-Native people, we've been taught to be suspicious of Native culture, to be suspicious of everything Natives do. Oh, do they pray with feathers? Oh, do they pray with smoke? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about feathers and about smoke, you know, and about praying with smoke and about smoke being a part of prayer it's all. It's found in the book of Revelation. It's found in in the Old Testament. It's, it was a common practice among many of our uh, Christian uh, ancestors, and even today, Christian people pray with smoke. So, for Native people, to do it somehow. It was wrong. You can't pray with smoke. But the most important thing is that is that with this translation, I think people can begin. You know, if you're non-native, you can begin to say wow, Native people have a different perspective. They see it a little bit differently here, and maybe that's going to help me see it better. For Native people, I hope it will open new uh, doors to understanding who Jesus is. He's been presented as sort of a European Jesus, an Americanized Jesus, and he needs to be presented more in a Native context context because that's how people receive. You know, all the translations that have been done so far in in English, and we have plenty of them, probably over 50 of them in English, and that's probably very conservative estimate. You know, they all have a different purpose to reach a different kind of people group. Well, this is a native people are a different people group that need to hear it in English in a different way, as long as it means the same thing. And that's what we're aiming for.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And and it's oh man, it is so beautiful. I absolutely love uh, reading it. <laughs> so I'm. I personally have. I already feel uh, you know blessed um, by the work that you guys have done. Um, but just like when it comes to translating anything, that's kind of a process, right? So, like, it's my understanding that you kind of had like a translation council. So, like, ha- what did that look like? How was that? council formed and like who was involved with this kind of stuff
1: um so probably about seven eight years ago was when i committed myself to doing this translation it's a long story to get there but i finally got there i resisted it for years i didn't feel like i was uh qualified to do a translation i wasn't trained as a translator but Over and over again, I kept looking for someone who had done something like this, and I couldn't find it anywhere. No one had done this. No one had done a translation with Native people in mind. So when I committed myself to it, I first did a couple other books. I did the the Christmas story. We call it the birth of the chosen one. I did a harmony of the gospel called when the great spirit walked among us. And then I, then it was time to do about, it was early in 2015 that, um, I just began, I had created a website, I created a Facebook page. I got the information out there. I told people what I was committing myself to. I got involved with a few native people who were helping me out and giving me ideas. And what happened was, um, a bible translation organization called One Book from Canada got a hold of me they they found me on the internet and they they work with indigenous people doing translations but their idea is that you do a translation you don't have the missionaries do the translation you have the indig- indigenous people do the translating the missionary or you know just simply helps and gives the tools and expertise Uh, that helps the the indigenous people do it themselves. And so this was just a perfect match. And they came behind us to help us. And so what we did and with their help and organizing and stuff, they suggested that we put together a translation council. And so that's what we did. And because my wife and I had spent over 10 years traveling across uh, Turtle Island, that's what we call North America, and as we traveled across Turtle Island, we made relationships everywhere with native people. So we had this uh, this expansive relationship uh, that we could draw from from different tribal heritages, from different uh, places and geographical locations. So we started. So I started going back to these rela- relationships. Native people do everything by relationships. So I I, I started looking. I didn't put. a thing out there saying all native people do you want to help with this no i went to people i knew people i trusted people i had uh, met before and spent time with and prayed with and so uh they i just reached out to them and we formed a translation we decided on 12. i don't know you have to guess why but uh you know it was a good number and uh, we put that council together and then one Book and Wycliffe Associates, both were helping us in the beginning to determine how we would do the translation and, um, um, and then how we would move forward and, and gave us that help.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. A, a long process for sure. And, um, I like in the, in the very beginning, in the introduction, there's like, just listeners. So, you know, um, when you pick up a copy, there's like, uh, a whole bunch of information about like the translation council who was involved, like other people uh, that you guys had involved. And it's, was really exciting. Um, Especially too. I remember when I first got uh, the little sample from IVP and I posted it on Facebook, like guys, like check this out. This is so cool. Um, I had somebody message me a more comment uh, that attended the church that I used to work at. And um, she too comes from a, a, native background and native heritage and one of her questions was like oh well like how can just one person do a translation uh for all native peoples and so it's really cool that within the book itself it says well here's the council here's like all the different tribes that were involved and i shared all of that with her and she was like oh wow that's really cool so beautiful so um i think it was two thumbs up it's pretty cool
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that's really the only way we could do it to give it any legitimacy among our native people mm-hmm. was to involve all these different tribal heritages um we we even i even got feedback i have a number of native american friends who are not christians hmm. Um and they even gave me feedback they oh, cool. even kind of liked what i was doing and said well we would say it this way or we would say it that way uh in in our native way and so uh we really were were as much as we could, we were we're trying to really make it a community effort.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I. I mean, I think that shines through so nicely. And, um, and also it also it brings forth a lot of like really beautiful and unique elements within the translation. And one of my personal favorites um, is the naming of persons and places throughout. And so like, just an example, so people know what I'm talking about in the prologue, um, when basically you're giving the, the story of, you know, in the beginning, um, it talks like when father of many nations, who's Abraham, and his wife were uh, too old to have children, the great spirit gave them a son, they named him, he made us laugh, because they laughed when Creator told them that they would have a child. He made us laugh had a son, whom he named heel Grabber because he grabbed his twin brother heel when he was being born. And the great spirit later gave him a new name, wrestles with creator because he wrestled with a spirit messenger from creator. And so I absolutely love that. And so can you just kind of tell us why you guys decided to do it that way?
1: Well, first of all, um, you know, I already knew that all the biblical names had some kind of meaning uh, behind them. Uh, because of the Hebrew people, that's how they named people. They, they always put meaning into names. And interestingly enough, all of our native people, traditionally, that's how we name our children. We give meaning to those names, and those names are given. Uh, sometimes you have more than one name. So it made sense that Abraham's name changed from, you know, from honored father to father of many nations, from Abram to Abraham. You know, and, and that's that, that would be understandable uh, for our native people. So uh, to, to make it culturally relevant and to bring out what's already there in the Greek, it's already in the Hebrew, it's already in the culture, biblical culture, and this, this to show how our native culture has the same values for naming and the same ideas. So, uh, and, and interestingly enough, of all the feedback that we've gotten from native people, this is the one thing that has been most meaningful: is the putting in the meanings of the name, and also calling God by non-colonial names—Great Spirit, Creator, One Above Us All, uh, the One Who Gives Us Life, the One Who Gives Us Breath—you know, just all these different titles and names. And so these are different ways in our tribal heritages that we talk about this supreme being that uh, is called the short term God, which is a very, in a sense, small name for a very big God.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I I loved that, too. All the the, um, like you were saying, all the different uh, names that were used uh for god where it was another one of my the the things i really enjoyed and even um want let me see if i can find real quick because uh, i don't want to say it wrong but even the name uh used for jesus um you might know it off the top of your head but i don't want
1: Set, creator sets free
0: yes creator sets free i absolutely loved that it is so cool <laughs> the bringing out of the names and even like locations too like if i remember correctly rome is referred to as like the city of iron um or the people of iron something like that. that's right
1: yeah that's that's, right
0: it's so cool like it just i don't know i love it (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) yeah the um all the names and places you know are when we when we met together as a council and Wycliffe uh, recommends there are about almost 200 words in the new testament that are critical for translators so what we did is we met together for a whole week, and we went through this list of English, of, of Greek words, and their English meaning, and then to say, how are we going to translate these words into this translation? So we agreed and came up with a whole list that we'd all have a common thing to go back to, to to reference back to, of the way we're going to say it. And we intentionally stayed away from certain kinds of words. hmm because, because some words for our Native people are trigger words that put up barriers and walls. Oh, sure. For example, the, the word sin, even though it's a translation of a, of a Greek word that many people uh, understand the meaning of, uh, some people, for our Native people in boarding school, it was a sin to have your hair long. It was a sin to pray with a feather. It was a sin to speak your language. So the word sin becomes a trigger word. So we wanted to stay away from those kinds of colonial words. So we intentionally uh, used other words that were clearly, sometimes even better translations than the word sin, like broken ways, Hmm. bad hearts, wrongdoings, and the same thing with the kingdom of God. Uh, native people aren't into kingdoms. You know, uh, we have chiefs, but these chiefs are seen as servants of the people, which is already the value that Jesus teaches us in his, uh, in his uh, teachings. And so uh, we we tried to stay away from these kinds of words um, and use words that, that more meaningful and some greek scholars have actually told us that in many ways these these decisions that we made are closer to the original meaning <laughs> than than a lot of english translations wow so so it's been it's been a, a journey and and also um, what's been interesting is non native people really like this translation so we see it not only as a as a gift for our native people but also, we see it a gift, as a gift to the dominant culture from our native people. Mm. Here, here's a, here's some more insight. I mean, can you imagine we have all these different cultures and worldviews and ways of seeing? And what if we could take, you know, uh, and, and we have most of most Christians have a monocultural way of seeing. Uh-huh. They they see through one lens. But but God has designed the body of Christ and given it to all different cultures to bring out the beauty of who he is through different lenses, different worldviews, different perspectives. And that's one of the things that people have said in this translation is that it brings out a different perspective and helps them actually see Christ in a new way. And and that's amazing to us. Yeah. Done that.
0: A hundred percent. And that's definitely how I would describe it for myself as a gift. Um, And it's just, I mean, like, like I was saying, it's so beautiful. And um, I feel one of the things that it really brings out for me is a deep connection uh, to nature and creation around me um, while reading. And also I'm particularly interested in Christianity as a wisdom tradition. And I know the native people as well have a great, beautiful, vast wisdom tradition. And so then to see the native wisdom tradition, like, lens used within the context of the new Testament was just so like mind blowing and beautiful to me. I absolutely loved it. Um, Again, I mean, I only have positive things to say, Terry. (laughs) That's so cool.
1: Well, you know, one of the (laughs) things that we were able to do is I spent a lot of time being the uh, kind of the primary translator. Um, We, we spent, I spent a lot of time reading uh, native people, non I read Christian Native people and non-Christian Native people um, and Black Elk and Chief Joseph and Chief Seattle. And I began to see some beauty in the way they expressed themselves in English uh, from their languages. And I, I remember when Black Elk used this phrase that he sent his voice to the Great Spirit. And I thought, what a beautiful way to picture prayer and to say what prayer is, so we adopted some of those phrases unabashedly from Black elk and other native speakers, traditional native speakers uh, to put into this translation because we wanted it to be like here's an here's one of our native elders telling the story in a native traditional way not all natives today are traditional, but all natives connect to their traditions at some level and want to connect to it. And so this is a a way to do that and a way to share who Jesus is. So native people can make up their minds about Jesus, not because of what happened with, with the colonials, but because of who Jesus really is and how he's not against us as native people, how he loves us. He loves the beauty of our culture. He loves who we are. And he was already here In this land we call Turtle Island, teaching us about himself long before the colonials came here. You know, and we just didn't have the story of Jesus uh, specifically, but we had it in metaphor in so many different ways. And Mm -hmm. so there are connections that can be made.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Man. It's just, again, I. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. And like, if it's okay with you, can I, do you mind if I, like, I have two passages that I want to read. Can Please. I read those two passages? I'll read one and then let you comment it on, and then I'll, I'll read another one. Um, the first one that I want to read is actually, it's on the back of um, the the translation itself. And it's, I chose to read it just because it's a verse that people would be readily familiar with, uh, which is John 3, 16 uh, and 17. So I'll I'll go ahead and read it and then uh, you can comment it on it. The great spirit loves this world of human beings so deeply. He gave us his son, the only son who fully represents him. All who trust in him and his way will not come to a bad end, but will have the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Creator did not send his son to decide against the people of this world, but to set them free from the worthless ways of the world. It's John 3,
1: 16 through 17. Yeah, well, uh, just looking at the verse, first of all, we say the great spirit, you know, to relate to our native people. Is God's spirit? Yes. Is he great? Yes. Is he a great spirit? Yes. (laughs) But he loves this world. And we added in here, Who is he talking to? God doesn't love the systems of the world that are oppressive. God loves the people of this world. And so we clarified that by adding this world of human beings so deeply that he gave us his son. He gifted us with with his son. And this is a very special son. It's not just any son. There's lots of sons of God, but there's only one son who fully represents who the creator is. And that's how we translated this this word begotten. Uh, it's It's a theological word, but the best thing we could come up with, he fully represents. This is a son who fully represents his father. Then all who trust in him, notice we didn't say believe. He said, trust. As a matter of fact, you won't, I don't know, there may be one or two times that we use the word believe, because believe is so overused, and believe tends to reach to the head rather than the heart. The Bible says, talks about, it never says to believe with your head. It always says to believe with your heart. So the heart is that innermost part of our being that that motivates us, and activates us. So that's where faith resides. And trust is a better word. I was told by Greek scholars, I researched this word pistis in the Greek, Uh, and in, in researching it, it turns out that trust is one of the best ways to translate it, but so few translations ever translated as trust, because trust is an active word. Trust gives the picture of of relational, it's a relational word, trusting, you know, believing isn't necessarily a relational word, and so that's why we, we chose the word trust, all who trust in him, but not only in him and his way, uh, Jesus said it himself, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things that I say, why do you call me your great chief, that fail to do what I teach you, to teach you, And so it's trusting in him and who he is. And then because we know who he is now, we also wanna do everything he tells us and everything he teaches us. We wanna follow the way of Jesus. And so if you do this, you're not gonna come to a bad end. What does that mean? Well, it's a better way than saying perish. What does perish mean? Okay, perish the thought. You know, I mean, we we have all these words that that keep ending up in English translations, and we don't really think how people aren't using these words very much anymore. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, and so coming to a bad end is a is a it was a, a simple but yet a, a striking way to look at uh, perishing, but we'll have the life of the world to come. This is eternal life, literally the life of the world to come. That never fades away. There's the eternal part of it, but it's also a life that is full of beauty and harmony. And I love how it says, creator did not send his son to decide against the people of this world. We stayed away from the word judgment. We might have used it twice in the whole translation because judgment is about deciding, making decisions. Judges make decisions about things. They hear and take in information and then they decide. But judgment in the Hebrew perspective isn't a negative thing. It's, it, it's a positive thing most of the time. It can be negative because if you are being judged against, huh, you're in trouble. But he didn't send Jesus to, to decide against us, but to set us free, to set them free from the worthless ways of the world and this idea of uh, of the world and its ways that's that it's not just the physical planet thinking of the world it's not creation and the beauty we see all around us in in creation it's the system the systems of this world that that we're talking about so the worthless ways of the world is what he's sending us free from
0: yeah I, I just i love how active that last bit is as well. And, and just the idea, of the um, way of trusting the way it's like, here's, here's a good way to, to walk where it's like the ways of the world, you know um, you know, are worth us. <laughs> right. So I love it. I love it. Um, and then one other section I wanted to read, it's a little bit longer, but my favorite section of the Bible, hands down is the sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes section Um, that you guys did is just fantastic. And so if I could share that with the listeners real quick. Yeah. So it says this and uh, listeners, this is Matthew chapter five verses three through 10. Creator's blessing rests on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Creator's blessings rest on the ones who walk a trail of tears For he will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will welcome them and always be their home. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right. They will eat and drink until they are full. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are merciful and kind to others. Their kindness will find its way back to them, full circle. Creator's blessing rests on the pure of heart. They are the ones who will see the great spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who make peace. It will be said of them, they are the children of the great spirit. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are hunted down and mistreated for doing what is right. For they are walking the good road from above. Again, Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Just fantastic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'll say a couple uh, things about this because it sure. would take too long oh, to go through so much, right? verse by verse. There's so much there. But I'll say, first of all, there is nothing in this teaching of Jesus that conflicts with our native cultures. Yeah. Nothing. Our native people taught these kinds of things. It was part of... Who we are, my own Anishinabe heritage, Ojibwe. We have seven sacred teachings. We have um, wisdom and humility and love and kindness. We have um, all these uh, courage, uh, truthfulness, honesty. All these different teachings, and we we also teach about things being in harmony, and so uh, and how to relate to one another, and so this. Everything here, inheriting the earth. Data <laughs> people, go, yeah, that's what it that's that's what needs to happen. The earth is so important. The earth is given to us, it's a gift from creator, and this is where we're going to live, you know, forever. Uh, it'll be a renewed earth, it'll be an earth that is back in harmony once again with the creator, but we need to already start walking that way now. We need to start treating the earth the way it's going to be treated in the future, but we need to do it now. That's what, let, let's let, what did Jesus say in, the, in, in what we call the Lord's prayer? He said, um, uh, let the beauty of your ways in the world above be reflected in the earth below. Now, in other words, we need to pray that the kingdom will come where his will is done here and now, and whoever follows Jesus we're just living out as best we can by the power of the Spirit. We're living out these truths ahead of time. And so um, what, probably my, one of my favorite one, uh, ones in here is, is, um, is, is 5 and 6, uh, verse 5 and 6. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will welcome them and always be their home. They will inherit the earth. That's just another way to say what inherit the earth means. But when you hear it this way, it takes on a, a, a dimension that sometimes the word inherit doesn't, doesn't fill out. Because because uh, we, we're so used to hearing things in a certain way and we get stuck in, in the imagery no longer resonates. So to have our native people uh, to be able to give more imagery to the beauty of what Jesus is teaching. And then those who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is, is seeking justice, seeking for things to be right, for things to be the way they're supposed to be, that we'd be a people who would walk in the way we were created to walk in the first place. And so, um, and so we need to have wrongs made right. And he promises if we will seek these things, he'll make them right. And to me as a native person and knowing the history, I'm trusting that wrongs are got to be made right. And I'm calling the church, I'm calling believers in Jesus, to make it right with our native people. There's so much more that can be done. You know, there's so much more that can be done, but begin to listen and hear and learn and then maybe we'll listen to what you have to say.
0: I love it. <laughs> it's so, it's so powerful. Um, It really is. And I, I, I just, I resonate so deeply with what you're saying, because for me, again, this reading and like you were saying with, with verse five, the imagery given it's, You know, I've read the Sermon on the Mount a million times, you know, in the English translation that I use. And this brought it to life in a whole new way to me. You know, it just pushed it that much further, made it that much more beautiful. Um, And so, again, really, it is it is such a gift. Um, And I guess I just wanted to ask you, is there like a particular passage that um, that you really like that you're most fond of or, or most proud of in the translation?
1: Oh, there's so many. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, I know
0: it's wonderful.
1: You know, one of the one of the, of course, the 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 what we call the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. That has been something that um, uh, has really challenged non-native people in a good way, and also resonated with native people. I'd uh, I'd be glad to share that.
0: Yeah, sure. I would love that.
1: So I'm gonna take the one from Matthew six. Okay. Uh, uh, o great spirit, our father from above, we honor your name as sacred and holy. Bring your good road to us, where the beauty of your ways in the spirit world above is reflected in the earth below. Provide for us day by day, the elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash and the wild rice, all the things we need for each day. Release us from the things we have done wrong. In the same way, we release others for the things done wrong to us. Guide us away from the things that tempt us to stray from your good road and set us free from the evil one and his worthless ways. Aho, may it be so. So that prayer is full of native imagery, Mm -hmm. but it also conveys the meaning to our native people of what Jesus was talking about. Absolutely. he gave that prayer. So that's one of my favorites and there's, there's many more, of course.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) thanks. Yeah. Thank you for reading that for us. Um, I just have a a few more questions I wanted to ask you and then we'll, we'll um, wrap up so I can be respectful to your time. Um, just what is your and your team's hope and goal uh, for this beautiful new translation?
1: Well, one of the things that, that we really hope for is that native people, first of all, so native people will have a, an opportunity to look at Jesus in a new way, in a more native way from a more native perspective instead of having uh, being told from a, say uh, an Americanized English version of the Bible, how to believe we can choose to believe because we've read it ourselves and we hear it in a way that resonates a little better for our hearts. So for our native people, that's, that's my, our hope that, that, uh, Jesus will resonate through heal, come through the real jesus will come through these scriptures secondly as a as a part of healing and reconciliation um i think it's important that non-native people have a bible like this to look at and to read so that they can begin to rethink their faith (laughs) <laughs> so that they can rethink how they see Jesus and to rethink American the americanized way of believing in Jesus because as much as the european and american people and theologians have given us so much native people have a lot to give and a lot to see and native people are the indigenous people of the land we're the ones creator put here first I think that gives us some sort of apostolic authority to speak about Christianity in this land, and so uh, my hope is that this translation will begin to break down some of the walls between our people, between uh, church people and and native people, um, be- between even among native people. There's there's a division. Most native people. Uh, have been taught to abandon their culture. We don't believe you're supposed to do that. You only abandon those parts of your culture that dishonor God. And that's true of every culture. We all have things in our cultures that don't honor the creator. And so, so you know, we're all called to rethink our lives and to look at Jesus in this this the hope is that this will begin maybe a process of native people and non-native people and church people talking to each other more sharing with each other more listening to other perspectives without feeling the need to defend ourselves so much so that's some of it
0: yeah well may it be so yes <laughs> may may it be so um well it i mean absolutely is a wonderful tool that um you guys have gifted uh, so many people and so I'm I'm grateful and I, I really hope um, that your your guys's goal and, and hope for this translation um, comes to pass because yeah. that would wouldn't that be beautiful um, And I guess just to kind of wrap us up here is there anything else that you would like people to know about the the First Nations version?
1: Well, it took us uh, about five years to to finish it. Oh, wow. We have young people that were involved, young Native people, older Native people, people from different denominations, people from different geographic locations, college campus Natives through InterVarsity and through um, crew, all have been involved in this and using this translation in actual ministry. It hasn't come out yet, but believe me, we've put samples of it out there, and and it's gotten into the hands of people, and we're getting good feedback. So um, I, I hope people is coming out. It's being fully released August 31st. Mm-hmm. I hope people will go to University Press. I hope they'll go to Amazon, wherever you like to buy from, and pick up a copy and get ready to, I, 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 sometimes I say this, get ready to read the gospel Uh, again, for the first time.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And listeners, I want to second that. You will not be disappointed. I promise. (laughs) Go out, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy. Um, And I know, too, just one thing um, that I would like to do. My So the church that I used to work for, Seneca Creek, um, is a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And they do a lot of, and they're really good at it. They do a lot of really beautiful things. The church itself reflects um, the community. And so people wear their traditional you know, clothing. We sing in different languages and all this kind of stuff. And I would love for Seneca Creek to be able to get First Nations version into their hands. So I'm going to send a copy to the head pastor, Mark, um, wow. just to add one more beautiful culture into the mix. Um, i think it's perfect for them so uh i'm excited for that opportunity so thank you again uh to you and your team to the council to everybody involved in in writing this translation um and thank you for your time today for again for hanging out and and chatting i appreciate it
1: so we say miigwetch isn't that way thank you for
0: listening oh awesome thank you so much listeners thank you um for listening for hanging out and uh may you go in peace peace and love guys